Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's CW. Thank you for checking out this week's Top Docs Radio Show. I had the pleasure of sitting down with our family veterinarian, Dr. Kimberly Carey, and her husband and office manager, Jamie Carey. And this week we talked about health problems that can be passed back and forth or can be experienced by both pet and owner and measures that we can take to prevent that. Here's Dr. Carey talking about a couple of examples of things that can pass back and forth between humans and their pets. Check it out. There's a whole list of things that your dogs and cats can give you and and Mm. back and forth. Some of them tend to be fairly mild. Some of them are much more severe. When we think of the severe ones, we think about things like rabies, right? Okay. You know, dogs and cats can get rabies and they can pass those to their humans. That's obviously a very severe form and that's something that we vaccinate against. And there's lots of legal issues around that as well, too. Then there's milder things such as ringworm. Lots of cats will carry ringworm. They get it when they're out in the grass and digging around and hunting and they come in the house, they rub against you, you can get it from them. Not to say ringworm is not very itchy and annoying, but definitely not a rabies. So it kind of goes back and forth as to things that they can pass. In the case of something like that, if my feline has ringworm, will I see evidence of that on them? Do they have issues with their fur or anything like that? Or is it just that the, the organism is on their fur and then they bring it to us? Most of the time, the organism is just on their fur. They get it out in the garden while they're out hunting and playing. They bring it in, they give it to you, and you're the one that ends up That's actually so coming nice. down with it. <laughs> they have it on their hair, but it doesn't really affect them as much. If they get enough of it on their hair, they will start to lose some patches of fur and show some skin lesions. But a lot of times they look totally normal and they give it to you. Now, are there GI or respiratory type illnesses that can move back and forth between humans and pets and vice versa? There are tons of GI ones. So not to gross out your listeners too much, but talking about too much poop. But there are a lot of poop things that can get passed back and forth between dogs and people some of which come from the environment, things like Giardia, which is a protozoal parasite that is out in the water. It is in the Chattahoochee, I'm very sorry to say. It's up in Lake Lanier. (laughs) One of ours, I think it was, I don't don't remember if it was Rosebud or Dale, one of them recently was diagnosed with it. It was Rosebud, sorry. (laughs) I hate to call her out. Um, But yes, so it's something you can get from in the water. So dogs can get it when they're drinking out of these water sources. We can get it if we're brave enough to drink out of the Chattahoochee. But they can also pass it through fecal matter. So when your dog gets it out of the Chattahoochee, out of the lake, out of the stream, out and back, um, and then they have accidents in your house and you're cleaning it up, making sure that we clean it up really well, and then washing our hands really well, being lots of good hygiene, so important, so that we don't end up getting things from them as well, too. Stick around. I got the full interview with Dr. Kimberly Carey, Doctor of Veterinary Medicine, and Jamie Carey, Office Manager of Apex Animal Hospital. Coming up next. And thanks for joining us here on the Top Docs Radio Show. I'm pleased to have in the studio with me a couple friends of ours that's been with us on the show in the past and actually friends of our family. They take care of our parts of our family, actually. I'm joined in the studio by Dr. Kimberly Carey and her husband, Jamie, from Apex Animal Hospital located in Austell, Georgia, out on the East-West Connector, right around the corner from us. And actually, they are looking after our brood of three dogs and a cat. Real happy to have you all here with us in the studio. 
Thank you for having us back. Thanks so much. And, you know, last time we were talking about a a host of different things. We got into heartworms because that was one of the things that had affected the Basset that we had adopted prior to us taking him in. He was found to have heartworms and had to go through that treatment. So that gave us an opportunity to talk about that. And then today, from what I understand, there's a number of different things that our pets can suffer from disease-wise that we can actually have ourselves as humans, whether we get it from the animal or the same organism, like in the in the instance of Lyme disease, for example, that's a tick-borne disease that can affect both humans as well as our pets, right? Exactly. Just like we get Lyme's disease from ticks when we're out outdoors, hiking, camping, out in the woods, our dogs can get bit by those exact same ticks, and they carry the exact same disease for our dogs. So some of the symptoms are very similar. The disease is an awful one. It's definitely one we want to look out for in our dogs. Well, before we get too deep into all of that, talk about what's been going on. From what I understand, the practice is really getting busy and starting to take off. Can you want to give us a quick update on where things are with the practice? We're about a year and a half old now. And uh, honestly, we're getting bigger, faster than we thought we were going to. Um, A lot of folks, you know, like yourself, have made good referrals for us. And obviously something that's very important to us is uh, is word of mouth referrals. Advertising, it it kind of does its thing. But, uh, you know, when you hear from your neighbor that you had a great experience at Apex, word of mouth is fantastic for yeah, us. Yeah, we've certainly been brand ambassadors for the practice because our experience has been so great. And and chance as it happened, we had our in-laws here and we had a tough time uh, going through a pet that uh, was ill and had to ultimately be put down in your care. And you all made that terrible experience actually quite beautiful, really, just for lack of a better way to say it. It was a hard time, but those were the things that we experienced with you all that made us really want to talk to other folks out in the community about it. And I'm sure other people that are coming to you to your practice are doing the same thing. So I'm not surprised to hear that the practice is really growing. We talked briefly about Lyme disease. Is it possible to prevent it? If I'm not mistaken, there's actually a vaccine that's available for dogs for Lyme disease. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. There is a vaccine out there that is very effective at preventing Lyme's disease in our pets. As with any vaccine, there's always pros and cons to anything. There are some reactions to the vaccine, especially in our really small breed dogs. But our small breed dogs aren't generally the ones that are doing a lot of hiking and camping and those things. The, the purse dogs generally stay at home, and it's the, <laughs> the bigger dogs that do. Now, I've been proven wrong before. There are plenty of little chihuahuas that do like to go hiking and hanging out in the woods. Um, but for the most part, we're lucky that the dogs that have problems with the vaccine are usually not the ones that are actually at risk for that disease, which is good. Now... There's been discussion, uh, one of the shows that I had recently with an infectious disease physician, you, you, you mentioned it actually, our show that we did on Lyme disease, that particular topic was getting beyond just the fact that Lyme disease is here in Georgia, but we were also done talking about chronic Lyme disease that is certainly a raging debate among the medical community out there. And of course, the patients that were there talking about their experience with chronic Lyme disease made that rather interesting. But one of the, one of the gentlemen that was on that show, his wife is a veterinarian, she talked about the fact that yes, here in Georgia, she's diagnosing pets with Lyme disease. And what's your experience in that regard since you've been here in the Southeast? Are you finding pets and other, you know, dogs and cats who are positive for Lyme? We are finding cases that come up positive, some of which are coming in sick and we're trying to diagnose what's making their joints hurt, what's making them so painful. Others we find actually by accident. So the heartworm test that we use, and we talked a little bit about heartworm testing on our last visit, um, but the heartworm test we use actually tests for heartworms and three other insect-borne diseases, Lyme's disease being one of them. Mm. So when they get their tests each year, we can screen for all of these things. And so we've had some dogs come up positive that we wouldn't have otherwise expected. And that's good because we're catching them early 
before they're getting bad signs. It allows us to treat them early, which has been very helpful. If you don't get that specific vaccination for Lyme disease, right, is it a shot, I guess, that you get in addition to the other things you would normally do on an annual basis? Correct. And so if you're, I mean, obviously, if you're going to be traipsing around the woods, going on a lot of hikes and different things like that. But I mean, what about my dogs just going out in the backyard? How much should we think about that? It's a good question. So right now in the state of Georgia, the incidence of heartworm disease in dogs is one out of every 170 dogs has Lyme's disease. That's one out of 170 that have been tested, right? So 169 show up negative, one shows up positive. I'm sure there's lots of dogs out there that aren't tested. So those numbers may not be perfect. We do worry a lot about vaccination, but the other thing to think about is tick control. So products that help to prevent ticks from attaching or kill ticks immediately after they attach are very helpful at stopping and preventing this disease as well, too. So you don't necessarily only have vaccination. You also have tick control. What are some preventive measures that one can employ? We talked about heartworms last year when we talked about Dale and that whole process, the chewables that the animals can eat. And then there's, I guess, there's some topical things as well. How much of those affect, obviously, they, they prevent heartworms. You can prevent fleas and ticks with some of these items. Absolutely. And there's a ton different products on the market right now, which is really important because not one product is right for every pet. So it's important to talk to your veterinarian and figure out which combination of products or which product in and of itself is going to be the best prevention for your pet for the things that he's going to come in contact with. There are some all-in-one products that will take care of heartworms, intestinal worms, fleas, everything along those lines. There are others that are just heartworms and intestinal worms, some that are just fleas and ticks. We don't yet have one product that does everything. That product, I'm sure, is coming. The drug companies are all working to bring that out for us. If you would like to retire early, there's there, there's your way out. <laughs> you can get heartworms, intestinal worms, fleas, and ticks all in one product. It would be the, the major one without causing upset stomach side effects, those types of things. When you start putting too many things in one product, that's where they're having a little bit of trouble. So how do you go about choosing which one would be best, do you think? I like to sit down and talk to the clients about what does your dog do? Where does he go? What is his lifestyle? And then we try to find one that's going to be the best for them, also considering other medical conditions. So if this pet has a very sensitive stomach, a topical product might be better for that pet so that we can avoid having it have to go through the stomach. If this pet does a whole bunch of swimming, if he's in the pool or out in the lake every day, a topical product's probably not going to be the most effective because you're going to be washing it off. So talking through all of those things and then finding the right one for them is going to be the most important. When we first jumped into this show, one of the things we talked about is there are some diseases that both we and our pets can get and can they communicate back and forth? I mean, can my dog give me something? I can give my dog something? Absolutely. There's a whole list of things that your dogs and cats can give you and and Mm -hmm. back and forth. Some of them tend to be fairly mild. Some of them are much more severe. When we think of the severe ones, we think about things like rabies, right? Okay. You know, dogs and cats can get rabies and they can pass those to their humans. That's obviously a very severe form and that's something that we vaccinate against. And there's lots of legal issues around that as well, too. Then there's milder things such as ringworm. Lots of cats will carry ringworm. They get it when they're out in the grass and digging around and hunting and they come in the house, they rub against you, you can get it from them. Not to say ringworm is not very itchy and annoying, but definitely not a rabies. So it kind of goes back and forth as to things that they can pass. In the case of something like that, if my feline has ringworm, will I see evidence of that on them? Do they have issues with their fur or anything like that? Or is it just that the, the organism is on their fur and then they bring it to us? Most of the time, the organism is just on their fur. They get it out in the garden while they're out hunting and playing. They bring it in, they give it to you, and you're the one that ends up actually coming down with it. (laughs) They have it on their hair, but it doesn't really affect them as much. 
if they get enough of it on their hair, they will start to lose some patches of fur and show some skin lesions. But a lot of times they look totally normal and they give it to you. Now, are there GI or respiratory type illnesses that can move back and forth between humans and pets and vice versa? There are tons of GI ones. So not to gross out your listeners too much, but talking about too much poop, but there are a lot of poop things that can get passed back and forth between dogs and people, some of which come from the environment. Things like Giardia, which is a protozoal parasite that is out in the water. It is in the Chattahoochee, I'm very sorry to say. It's up in Lake Lanier. (laughs) One of ours, I think it was, I don't know if it was, I don't remember if it was Rosebud or Dale. One of them recently was diagnosed with it. It was Rosebud, sorry. Yeah. (laughs) I hate to call her out. Yeah. Um, But yes, so it's something you can get from in the water. So dogs can get it when they're drinking out of these water sources. We can get it if we're brave enough to drink out of the Chattahoochee. Um, (laughs) But they can also pass it through fecal matter. So when your dog gets it out of the Chattahoochee, out of the lake, out of the stream out and back, um, and then they have accidents in your house and you're cleaning it up, making sure that we clean it up really well, and then washing our hands really well, being lots of good hygiene, so important, so that we don't end up getting things from them as well, too. So now on the note of Giardia, the the you know, the disease the, the organism that gives them you know, potentially some gastrointestinal upset i mean i know that we've been out on the silver comet trail for example walking before and the rosebud is being a good example i mean sometimes there's water on the side um that that's flowing it's not 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 in the nappy looking ponds but there's some clear looking water that's on the side of course we cross over the the river down there on the um there it's i believe it's nancy creek um, but we cross over that so you can actually go down there. So is it, is it bad for the animals, I guess, to drink out of any of those types of water sources, I guess, potentially based on what you're saying? Potentially, it depends, honestly. Um, the nice, clear, flowing water tends to be better than the stagnant puddles that have been sitting there for a while. Um, it's always a risk, though. It's not the clean, filtered water that we all like to think about. Most dogs will do great. Most dogs will not get it, but if you're that one unlucky dog that gets it, you really don't want to then pass it to your family. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess just taking precautions when you're cleaning up the yard, for example, if you have to mess with the, the poop. One of my favorite jobs. Julie yes. loves to laugh at me whenever I'm having to deal with that. So yeah. important to scoop regularly and dispose of properly and then wash your hands very well afterwards. Any Anything that we should watch for uh, around our pets and, and, and symptoms they may be having that's going on? Uh, I would assume that a lot of times it's going to be, wow, they're just not acting like themselves. They don't want to eat maybe or uh, energy. But what are things that we need to look for in our pets to let us know, well, we maybe need to be calling Dr. Carey? Yeah. I always tell my clients, you know your dog better than anybody does. You know what's normal for him or her. You know how they normally act. So if your dog is fully focused on food every morning, that's the only thing they think about, and you put food down and they're just lacklusterly looking at it, there's something probably wrong versus somebody who maybe their dog's just not a morning eater ever. That wouldn't necessarily be a problem. If normally their energy level is a 10 at all times, and now we're about a six or a seven, maybe that's not horrible, but that's not what your normal dog is. If that continues for more than 24 hours, definitely something we need to look at. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's other things, sneezing, coughing, vomiting, diarrhea. Those are pretty obvious things that there's something going on in there, and that's definitely a cause for concern. Now, with with us here, I know I came here from Oklahoma, never really had trouble with allergies. I have some now. Um, I found out 
once I got here that I'm actually quite allergic to oak. Evidently, I've got seven different kinds in my backyard. Um, Welcome but, to Georgia. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, but every once in a while, I've noticed that our dogs also will, and I don't know if, if it's sneezing, it's we call it snorking, actually, because it's not quite a sneeze like a dog's can sneeze, but they're like <laughs> snorting kind of weird through their nose. Is that an allergy of some kind them, of themselves? What's going on when they're doing stuff like that? That is technically called a reverse sneeze. Yeah. So a sneeze. So it's is like you, itching the inside of your nose, sort of much. like. Pretty <laughs> much. So a sneeze is when you violently expel right. stuff out. Yeah. A reverse sneeze are actually violently expelling things inwards. Yeah. So they have a little flap in the back of their throat. Basically, they're right along their epiglottis. If their epiglottis gets swollen, which can happen with allergies, their epiglottis starts to swell and it starts to get congestion back there and the dogs will do this reverse sneeze which exactly sounds like that's when you do a great version we hear of it. it often you do a great <laughs> Sophie in particular there you go that helps to move that flap out of the way and help them breathe easier it right. sounds the first time you ever hear one doing it sounds like they are dying that they're having <laughs> some sort of on? attack and they're dying and as soon as it finishes they're like walking around like nothing ever happens it doesn't bother them at all but it is an allergy thing. It causes some swelling at the back of the Inevitably, throat. it's in the middle of the night. Always. <laughs> you know, Rosebud being our, our larger dog, um, one of the things that we notice with her is she's always been sensitive to activity. Um, I, I know that uh, we've talked to you about it. She actually has a, a, a dose of Remedil that she can take. But how frequent is is arthritis and that kind of joint pain in, in dogs? And is there... A, is there just a genetic propensity for some animals over the others to have issues like that? It definitely is. We see a lot of arthritis in dogs, just like we see a lot of arthritis in people. The longer you live, the more chance you have of coming up with arthritis. We don't see a lot of it in our younger dogs or people. It can happen, but it's usually the older crew that we get to see it in. And in our dogs, it's very much tends to be breed specific as well. There are certain breeds that are much more prone to it. Um, our labs, unfortunately, tend to be very heavily prone toward it. Our shepherds tend to be prone to it. And then any of what we call our chondrodysplastic dogs, which are bassets, our dachshunds, uh, any of the dogs that have the little short mm -hmm. legs that kind of right. curve a yes. little bit, those joints, because of that curvature in the joint, it puts more pressure in on those joints. So they do tend to suffer from this a little bit more as the wear and tear goes on. English bulldogs, poor guys, they, they have very severely bent and kind of curved legs, which is one of the things we love them for, for the look. Um, but it does put a lot of pressure on those joints and cause some more arthritis as they get older. Talking with Dr. Kimberly Carey and her husband, Jamie, of Apex Animal Hospital, Austell, Georgia, out on East West Connector, and uh, been covering some things, um, talking about some preventive measures that we need to take for our animals, uh, for fleas, ticks. Uh, there's obviously some tick-borne uh, issues like Lyme disease, which can affect both our dogs as well as us. And, um, you know, there's some easy prevention that we can do. You can even vaccinate your animal uh, for, for Lyme disease. I don't understand why we don't have a vaccination yet for humans when that's the case. But, um, you know, when we're, we were talking just now about uh, arthritis in our pets and, and one of mine uh, being one of those that uh, can suffer from that, I've, one of the things I've noticed with her is, A, she, she loves to be out and wants to go for those runs, um, and it's clearly something that uh, brings her immense joy to get to go do, she ends up suffering for it, um, particularly if she goes too far. Is it something that um, when, it, when we watch her around the house, for example, she, you can tell that she deals with some measure of discomfort 
fairly frequently and it seems like one of her front shoulders is the one that really bothers her. But um, what I've noticed is if we gently walk her, um, you know, and kind of build up miles just like with us, same thing, it seems to help her be able to do a little bit better. I mean, is that, am I just imagining things? But, it, you know, versus hasn't gone out in a few days to really cover some miles and then goes two or three miles and now she's all of a sudden very, very gimpy. Is it? Can you build up their tolerance to it? Is it something you can do that kind of thing with? You're not imagining it. That's absolutely true. They say a lot, a body in motion tends to stay in motion, a body at rest tends to stay at rest. Um, if you've been laying around the house all day, just waiting for your owners to come home, sleeping on the couch all day, and then on Saturday you decide to get up and go for three miles, it's that weekend warrior syndrome, mm -hmm. definitely harder on your body than if you're doing a little bit of exercise every day. That helps to build up strength, build up stamina, and make those joints much happier as well, too. Once those joints have sat there in a really <laughs> stiff, still position all day long, or four, five, six days in a row, getting up and moving around is much harder. So we always encourage them to do a, a little bit of exercise every day, even if it's just you know a walk around the block or you know going down to the mailbox and getting the mail twice a day. Go down in the morning, come back, go mm -hmm. down in the afternoon, just getting up and moving around, doing as much as they can do without hurting themselves, and that will gradually build up over time. Uh, I, I need to be a better owner than and get her out for those short walks, um, you know, more frequently during the during the course of the week. Because, I mean, we do some, but not nearly as regular probably as we ought to. They get to go out and play in the backyard, and that includes a lot of galloping and different things like that. But when, in terms of going out for longer walks, don't necessarily do that outside of the weekend. So we'll have to try to build that in. We're guilty of that as well. I mean, we, we really do. There's very little that we do during the week and just the, the short Time, brief walks yeah. or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. There's not enough, not enough hours in the day. And we do, we see that weekend warrior syndrome, much like you, you see with one of yours, one of ours has that same problem. She has a, a shoulder injury that yes, if we gave it a little bit more time and let her warm up and build up beforehand, rather than, you know, turning her loose and she runs like she shot out of a cannon um, and, and she suffers for a, a day or more um just, uh, just doing that let's talk briefly about the the issue that all of our pets suffered basically everyone in our house suffers from it um we like to eat and uh we like to serve some food and uh, consume it with great joy and pleasure and uh, our pets were the same basically we for the longest time we weren't really measuring it we had a had a cup that was probably a 16 ounce cup and put what looked like, oh, okay, that's good for two dogs in, in a bowl, basically eyeballing it and, and letting them go at it. Um, used to be once a, once a day, now it's twice a day. But uh, Rosebud in particular, she just was massive. She, she looked like a linebacker, was clearly overweight. Um, talk about that, how, how, one, how you can control it, and then how, how, how risky is that for them? I would assume it's probably very similar to us. Very much so in, in the associated risks and everything. And that, that's actually one of my favorite stories that we get quite frequently from owners is we start talking about their dietary and their nutritional needs. And we ask them, you know, how much do you feed your dog a day? And it's it's one cup. Sometimes we forget to ask how big that cup is. It's, <laughs> it's not a measuring cup. It's one yes. of the Braves souvenir cups <laughs> yeah. that holds a liter yeah, of just food. One cup. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of the things. Um, most of the uh, dog food that you can get in the grocery store or at our hospital or PetSmart or any of those types of places, they have some sort of a feeding guide on that. Uh, the feeding guide that they give you was put there by people that are in the business of selling dog food. Um, so they, I think they tend to be on the, the heavy side of things, uh, whereas you can probably cut, I, I think my general rule of thumb is about 
20% off of whatever they say. Interesting. So there's a, you know, a 50 pound dog should have a, a one and a quarter cups a day. Yeah, shave a little bit off of that. Maybe go with a, a cup a day. And that cup is a measuring cup. Right. Not, yeah. not the brave souvenir cup. <laughs> like what you, you would use for cooking. Exactly. Um, not exactly. a 16 ounce cup like we used to use, um, which is essentially two cups. Um, <laughs> as far as the, what about, cause I mean, Rosebud, now that she's been on a little bit of a calorie restriction, because when we think about it, I mean, she gets a half a cup of kibbles. And we'll, we, we've taken to giving them just each, just get, it might be a tablespoon or two if it is that of some uh, cut up uh, lean lunch meat, for example, like a turkey or chicken, something like that, just to give them a little flavor of, of meat, you know. Um, but now that it's, we're talking about a fairly small physical amount of kibble, it's gone. We, we timed it. She's, she can go under a minute 30. Um, so I've seen those little maze type feeders that they have to chase the kibbles around on. Are those things good for them? I mean, is it sort of like humans? If we eat a little slower physically, then maybe we'll fill up a little, feel more satisfied, more, more, I guess, more effectively than if we get this small serving that we just get to choke down real quick. I love those little puzzle toys. And there's a okay. bunch of, there's the, there's the food bowls that look like they have a little maze right. or they have little knobs in them. There's the, I think Buster Cube makes a good one that it's a, it's a, it's a puzzle toy that they roll around and it dispenses a kibble every once in a while. Um, that does help a lot with dogs that do tend to, uh, take the food in a little too fast. Sometimes if they do, we see it a second time. Um, so if you can slow them down, that's good. Uh, the other thing that it does, it provides good mental stimulation. We see some dogs that have uh, a little bit of like separation anxiety. Um, so mom or dad gets their keys out and the dog starts to panic sort of thing. If they're a food driven dog, you can provide that toy for them and distract them with that toy as you make your silent exit through the back door. And sometimes that helps them quite a bit with that separation anxiety as well. We may have to try one of those out. Um, and, and what about, what about the notion? Cause one of the things, um, Julie has heard about, for example, with our Bassett is activity after eating. What, what, what risks do they have? I mean, do they really kind of technically need to kind of be chilled out for a while, uh, after their, after their meals? I mean, are there GI problems they can have where it causes, uh, I don't know, interception or some sort of, uh, issues that, uh, with their bowel that, uh, that they're at risk for after they eat? The big thing people worry about is what's called bloat, where the stomach gets really big and full. And then when you get real active, it starts to twist. That happens more commonly in certain breeds, not necessarily in our Bassets as much, but we think about our really large dogs, our, our Shepherds, our Great Danes, some of our labs, um, anyone who's got a really deep chest. Um, for a long time, they thought that activity after food was one of the things that would cause that. It has kind of gone by the wayside a little bit. Um, I think it's still pretty safe to say after you eat, it's probably good to give you at least a few minutes before you go running around the backyard. I don't necessarily want to go and run around right after I eat. That doesn't yeah. make me feel the best. Uh, but we know that our dogs don't necessarily think that way. They think, ooh, food, that was good. Ooh, let's go chase the ball. That sounds like fun. Uh, so I do like to give them at least a few minutes to rest and let everything settle before we go out and do too much strenuous exercise. But I think the idea of it causing bloat or causing other physical obstructions or those types of problems is starting to kind of go by the wayside as we're seeing that that's not necessarily quite the case. And with a few minutes remaining, let's talk about uh, vaccinations real quick. How, how important are they? When do we need to be thinking about them? The, those sorts of issues for our cats and dogs? Yeah, so vaccination is a huge question that's come up in human medicine. Mm -hmm. There's lots of controversy about 
when and how much vaccines to, to give. It's a big question in veterinary medicine as well, too. We have a lot of different vet, uh, vaccines at our disposal. There are some that we know that are incredibly important that every dog should get and be current on. There are others that we consider lifestyle vaccines, like the Lyme's vaccine, right? Not every dog needs that vaccine. Those who are at high risk, we want to vaccinate, as well as use preventatives to try to prevent that disease. Things like rabies, things like parvo, we want to make sure that every dog is protected against those things. And they need to do that every year? So the vaccination protocol will depend on which vaccines they're getting. There are one-year and three-year rabies vaccines. So depending on their age, they may qualify for a three-year rabies vaccine instead. And there's pros and cons to doing that. There are some of the distemper and the parvo vaccines that will last much longer, last for three years as well, too. So those are things that we can do to help limit how much vaccine we're putting in our pets and yet still keep them protected. Now, if we get a new animal, bring it home, um, or maybe one of our animals has a, you know, puppies or kittens, whatever the case may be, when do we need to think about starting them on their vaccinations? At what point do they have to get those first rounds? Yeah. Those little guys tend to be some of the most susceptible to illness, just like in people. The most susceptible to illnesses are very, very young and the very, very old because our immune systems are not strong enough yet. Those puppies and kittens, assuming that their mother was well vaccinated, get some immunity from mom when they're nursing. If mom wasn't vaccinated, then they're at a little disadvantage to start with. So just like a child who maybe didn't have good prenatal care yeah. in the womb. But we want to start that series pretty early. Just like children, puppies and kittens get a series of vaccines to keep them up to date. We usually do those around 9, 12, and 15 weeks to kind of keep them all up to date. If mom was never vaccinated, we'll start a little earlier at six weeks, six, nine, 12, and 15 weeks to make sure that they get everything they need and that they're fully protected. Any any final thoughts that, uh, that we need to share that we haven't had a chance to cover just yet before we get you back to the office? Well, one other thing that I think is important, whether we're talking about vaccinations or diseases that get transmitted between dogs and people, cats and people, is to always be open, talk to your veterinarian, ask them questions, talk about lifestyle, talk about any travel that you do with your dogs. We talked about Lyme's disease here in Georgia. The risk of Lyme's disease if you travel up to the New England area is much, much higher. Mm -hmm. So if you take your dog up there every summer to visit grandma, that's important for your veterinarian to know so they can talk to you about what's right for your dog. If you travel out to New Mexico, California, Arizona, there's a lot of different diseases out that way that we don't necessarily see here in Georgia, but you can get some, some input on things to be careful about, things to be extra protecting against. Um, always talk to your veterinarian because between you and your veterinarian, you're the team that's going to take care of your pet. That's interesting. I'm sure a lot of people, I mean, they have travel medicine, for example, if you go or uh, traveling abroad or, or to other places outside of the U.S. Um, that you can link up with an infectious disease specialist to get some measure of coverage for. It sounds like there may be some of that that you might need to think about with your pets. And I think that's probably an easy thing to overlook. Yeah, especially if you see your veterinarian for your annual physical every September and you go see grandma every Easter or, you know, June, July, you may not be thinking about that in September when you're seeing your vet. But those are important things that we always want to talk about and be prepared for. Anything else that we, we, we want to get out there for the folks 
for this time around? I, I think that pretty much covers it. I, we talked about you know one of the, the biggest things that Dr. Carey said a, a couple times during this conversation is just being open and talking about those lifestyle type of things. You know, that's going to dictate the, the vaccine protocol that we talk about. It's going to talk. We're going to talk more about the which preventative is going to be good for you um, because we don't want to give any one dog more than more than what they need. Uh, I know sometimes the preventatives almost feels like an like an upsell from from the doctor um, when you know go in and we do all the vaccinations and everything. But that's one of the most important things that we as pet owners can do uh, to protect our pets mm-hmm. and our family every month. Yeah, because some of those things like the heartworms, for example, are so very difficult for the animal to go through and expensive. Uh, t- as well. So if you want to get a little bit more information about the folks at Apex Animal Hospital, you can go to myapexvet.com and they've got uh, Facebook and Twitter as well. And it's also My Apex Vet. We've tied in with you uh, already so folks can get to you uh, both through the podcast page here uh, as well as uh, getting to their website directly. And if you've not done so already and you're coming back checking out the podcast, you can go to the upper left-hand corner of the show page. There's an Apple logo there. That'll take you over to the iTunes store, to the Top Docs Radio Show podcast. Subscribe to us so you can stay in touch with all these experts that we're bringing to you every week. It'll be downloaded straight to your device and ready for you to check out on your way to work or when you're walking the dog, whatever the case may be. So uh, we hope you do that. And turn around and share this, man. You might be able to put some information in the hands of somebody that you care about. might just make a difference for them and their pets. Um, we want to say thanks so much for Kimberly and Jamie coming by and, and sharing some more great information. We'll have to have you back again and talk some more. Anytime. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All Thank right. You. Well, everybody out there, thanks so much for taking time to, to check us out today, and uh, we'll see you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then. 